He who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If you would be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you must become least and servant of all. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a little child will by no means enter it. Jesus gets everything upside down, doesn't he? Jesus always does this in his teaching. He says things just the opposite of what we expect. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Hardly, Jesus. Those who exalt themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves will be forgotten. Whoever would be great should exalt himself. And little children, well, little children should become like us, not the other way around. Right, Jesus? Jesus comes and he turns everything upside down. And yet, of course, that's not quite true, is it? For Jesus does not come into a world that's all right side up. Jesus comes into a world where the paintings are all hanging upside down. And so though he says things that seem contradictory, though he says things that seem so upside down, and though he does things that seem so backwards, giving himself in place of a sinner, he is not turning things upside down, but right side up. Isn't that the way it is with Jesus? His kingdom seems at first to be upside down. The greater shall serve the lesser. Those who are exalted must humble themselves. It seems so backwards, Jesus. It seems upside down and inside out. But in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, everything is right. It's we who are upside down. You can think of it this way. Imagine going into a museum, and in the museum, imagine that the paintings are not just a little bit skewed, right? Hanging kind of crooked. Sometimes that happens to our paintings at home, to our pictures. And if you're not OCD, it doesn't bother you. But if you're a little bit OCD, then even the slightest painting off-center, you've got to go and fix it. But imagine now that you were in an art museum and the paintings are not just off kilter a little bit, but everything's upside down. Such is sin in our world. The devil is the great inverter. He turns everything upside down. And you can see that quite clearly in the world around you, can't you? You can see how everything gets perverted and inverted. You can see how now evil is held out to you as good. And if you want to be on the right side of history, we're told, aren't we? Well, then you've got to approve what God does not approve of. The paintings in this world are all upside down. And many people figure, well, if they're upside down, might as well join them. (laughs) So many people go through life upside down. They're standing on their heads. They're upside down. This is what sin does to us. This is what the devil's lies do to us. They don't just distort the world around us, but they distort our own hearts and our own minds. And the world exerts this pressure on us. Conform. Turn yourself upside down. It's you who are backwards. It's you who are inside out. If you want to enjoy this world, then just turn yourself upside down with us. How many go through life upside down and inside out and backwards and all the time they think, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great to live in an art museum where everything is upside down and all the blood is rushing to our heads and nothing makes sense? Thank God that he sends his son Jesus to set things straight. 
Remember how Mary sang about her son, Jesus, when he was still in utero, when he was still so small, smaller than little Beckett this morning, when Jesus was still in the womb, how did Mary sing? My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has turned everything right side up. The rich are sent away, and those who are lowly are lifted up. That's the mission of Jesus, to set things right. But I want you to notice where he starts, because when Jesus comes into this world, he doesn't start with all the paintings around us. He starts with your own heart. He starts here. He sets you right side up. And what happens then is that you live right side up in an upside down world. You live inside out in an outside in world. You live forward in a backwards world. And so you feel, you feel like a stranger in this world, don't you? Have we done Beckett any honors this morning? Have we done him any good or have we given him a life where he's going to be backwards and upside down and inside out? He's going to feel that way, I'm sure. There's going to be plenty of, his time, of times in his life, just like in all of our lives, when we will seem like strange, backwards, upside-down people. But see, we aren't looking for the validation of the upside-down world, are we? Do you want to be validated by people who hang their pictures upside down? Do you want to be validated and approved and patted on the head and slapped on the back by people who don't know what a woman is or what a man is? Do you want to be approved by those people who are so upside down and backwards that they can't make sense of anything? I don't want their validation. I don't want their approval. Oh, sure, I do, right? I mean, we all have this pressure to conform. We all want to be approved of. But the real justification that we are here for, the real justification that we want is the one that comes from above. It is the justification of Jesus that we pursue in this world. It is his pat on the head. It is his slap on the back. It is his attaboy. It is that that we are to pursue in the world because that is what counts. Having God's validation, having God's approval is no small thing. It can be all the difference between life and death. It was for Cain and Abel, and it is in our own day and age. To live in this world without God's approval is like living in hell. But to live in this world with God's stamp on you, to know that you are his own child, to know that he has his favor on you, that gives you power, that gives you strength, that gives you joy and peace and happiness and all of those blessings. They come from having the favor of God. And so to have that favor, to know that favor in an upside down and backwards world, Jesus tells us this parable. There's two men. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are the Pharisees and there are the tax collectors. There are those who think really highly of themselves and are really full of themselves. And there are those who think little of themselves. There are those who are proud and there are those who are humble. There are those who exalt themselves and there are those who humble themselves. And to outward appearances, those who exalt themselves have it all. There's a famous country music song. I was going to sing it as the hymn of the day, but I wasn't sure all of you knew this one. It goes like this. Um, Paul was telling me who the singer was. I forget. Mac somebody. Davis. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're full of yourself, isn't it? Such was our Pharisee in Jesus' parable. He was completely 
full of himself. And if you didn't get that by hearing it the first time, let me repeat it to you. Remember how he worshipped God. You can always tell what a person believes by how they worship. How we worship leads to what we believe, right? So if we start worshipping like Pentecostals, it won't be long before we become Pentecostals, which might be fun for like a week or so, but it will get old really fast. We worship like Lutherans so that we would stay Lutherans. But the Pharisee worships like a Pharisee, and in his worship, you can see what he really believes. Listen to his prayer. Well, before you even listen to his prayer, just look what he does. First of all, he puts himself apart from everyone else. He puts himself ahead of everyone else. He exalts himself unlike the rest of us. And in his words, in his words, just like in the prayers of the church, you can hear what he really believes. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. God, I thank you that I'm not unjust and I'm not an extortioner and I'm not an adulterer. And I thank you that I do all these great things for you, God. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of everything that I get. Now, those are all good things, by the way. It's good to be just. It's not good to be an adulterer. It's good to fast, it's good to tithe. There's nothing wrong with what he is doing. But you notice, all the things that he has done have filled up his heart. And you get the impression, don't you, that if this Pharisee were to continue talking long enough, his prayer might start to sound something like this. God, you know what? You should be thanking me. You're lucky to have me, God, because, you know, I'm better than everybody else. You know, God, you owe me. Because I'm so wonderful and I'm so great and I'm so grand. In fact, God, you should be praying to me because I'm such a great guy. Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect like me. He is so full of himself that he has no room for God, does he? You notice in his prayer, he doesn't even ask for anything. He just tells God how great he is. I thank you, God, that I'm not like everybody else and that I, 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 he is so full of himself, he has no room for God. And probably people thought he was a great guy, you know? Isn't that how it goes? People who exalt themselves, who promote themselves, who show their best version of themselves, everybody says, wow, that guy's really good. He fasts twice a week. But in the sight of the Lord, what is that? Look at the other guy in Jesus' parable, the man who humbles himself. And you can see by his worship what he believes He doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, right? He doesn't suppose that he can look at God in the face as if they were peers, as if they were the same. He looks down and he beats his breast like us bowing our heads, like us kneeling at the altar. He doesn't presume anything. He humbles himself and his prayer is simple. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is not a heart full of himself in this man, but instead a heart full of the mercy of God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a beautiful prayer. And it is that prayer that encapsulates the whole life of faith, this humble life of faith that does not exalt in what we have done, but instead looks outside of ourselves to what Jesus has done for us. 
When he says, God, be merciful to me, it's this very technical use of the word mercy. It goes back to the temple. In the temple, there was a mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holy places, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Do you know what they called that day? It was called the Day of Atonement. This man's prayer is that God would atone for him, that God would do for him what he could not do for himself, that God would pay what he could not pay for himself, that God would offer in his place what he could never offer himself. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The answer to that prayer is yes. For in Jesus, God has provided precisely that, in offering in your place, a payment on your behalf, one who lays down his life for you so that you might not be condemned, but instead you may go home justified, validated, approved. This is far better than a slap on the back. This is far better than a pat on the head. To be justified, to go out from this place with God's approval resting on you, to go out into an upside-down world with God's approval, That's what we need, and that's why Jesus tells this parable, and that is the gift that he gives to us again and again and again, his justification. In holy baptism, those waters were poured over your head, and God's approval was declared of you. This is my beloved child. In holy communion, we come to this place and we pray, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on me. And then we receive the body and blood of Jesus, which is God's way of answering that very prayer. The body offered for us is now given to us. And so we are justified, not because of how great and wonderful we are, but because of how great and wonderful our Lord Jesus is. And see, here's where Jesus' parables always pack this little punch, don't they? He told that parable to those who trusted in themselves and held everybody else in contempt. He tells this parable to you today so that you would trust in him and instead of holding everybody else in contempt, you would learn to love them. Justification and love go together because when you know, when you know that you are not in a competition with all these people around you, that you have to somehow kick them down to earn God's favor, that your good works even, the things that you do for those around you, you aren't using these people around you to get in good with God, but that he justifies you freely. Then, then you are actually set free to love people simply because. Simply because God would have you do it. Justified, we go out from this place into an upside-down world, a backwards world, an inside-out world, set right. And when you go out from this place, you are set right, So that rather than living in contempt, you could live in love. God, be merciful to us sinners. God, justify us sinners for Christ's sake. God, make us loving for Jesus' sake. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.